Hello and welcome to another episode of African Jeopardy. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Creil in Scotland. Hi everyone, uh, thank you Ife. My name is Dihia and I'm the co-host of African Jeopardy and I'm recording from Vancouver in Canada. Today we're going to be talking about energy security in Africa and we have an amazing guest to talk about the topic with us today. I am really excited to introduce Dr. Victoria Nalule. Victoria is an energy and mining professional and consultant with uh, extensive experience working on various projects in, uh, in the different parts of the globe. She is a holder of a PhD in international energy law and policy from the University of Dundee. Victoria is also the founder and executive director of the African Energy and Minerals Management Initiative. She is also the lead consultant and CEO at the NEM Energy Consultancy. Victoria is an author and has widely published on topics relating to oil, gas, renewable energy, climate change, and mining in Africa. She has many books. Um, some of her latest include Mining uh, and the Law in Africa, Exploring the Social and Environmental Impact, Energy Transitions, and the Future of the African Energy Sector, Law, Policy, and Governance, um, energy poverty and access challenging is, uh, challenges in sub-Saharan Africa, the role of regionalism. And she has also a book with hard publishers focused on land law and extractives. Victoria has advised various governments on oil, gas, renewable energy and mining projects, including appearing as an expert witness before the commission of inquiry into uh, land matters in Uganda presenting comments um, on the South African Petroleum Bill before the country's policymakers, leading a team of energy experts in reviewing energy mining laws and policies for countries such as Namibia, Ethiopia, and Uganda, and many other things. We are really thrilled to have her with us. So welcome, Dr. Nanule. Thank you very much. So welcome, and thank you for being here. Before we actually give you the platform to talk to us about the state of energy security in Africa, I'd like to start by defining energy security so that our audience can make sense of what we mean by that. Energy security, simply defined, is the uninterrupted availability of energy sources at an affordable um, price. And just to give you an insight as to how important energy is for the African continent, I'd like to share a figure with you that highlights the number of people that do not actually currently have access to electricity. According to current or most recent data, an estimated 600 million people on the continent do not have access to electricity. And given the importance of electricity, of course, to production and potentially socioeconomic development. This is obviously a very important topic and I'm so glad that we have Dr. Nanule with us. And so we're gonna start by asking you, what then does energy security mean for Africa? Uh, thank you very much, Ife, for, for that. And also for, uh, I thank Daria for the introduction. So energy, it's a main key with respect to the development of any country not only in Africa, but also other countries. So when we are talking about energy security, we need to first understand what is energy, like for people who don't really have knowledge in this aspect. So with energy, we are talking about um, electricity. We are talking about uh, 
other forms of energy like uh, fossil fuels, oil, gas, we have renewables, all these are used to enable us to have the normal electricity or the normal power that we use at our homes, but also it's used in transportation when you're talking about oil, for, in for instance, oil and gas. Um, energy is key in ensuring industrialization because when you're talking about Africa we need to also know that most of the countries in Africa are developing countries they have to undergo urbanization they have to undergo industrialization and all these require lots and lots of energy so before I even go into what energy security means in Africa I also like to highlight why access to energy is very key in African countries, but also globally. We, we're all aware that goal seven of the UN Sustainable Development Goals emphasizes access to affordable, reliable, um, clean and sufficient energy for all. But you also have to note the nexus between achieving goal seven of the UN Sustainable Goals and all the other SDGs like education, access to education. And in the African continent, or for some African countries, developing countries or poor countries, you can ask yourself, how can we achieve all the other UN SDGs if we don't have access to modern energy? You will start by education, because education is key for everyone. Like we're talking right here because we're educated. But if you think about the people in rural areas who have no access to electricity, how are they going to use computers without access to this electricity? And like I mentioned, electricity is part of energy. Then we talk about healthcare living, because it's also a part of the UN SDGs. How are we going to ensure that everyone is healthy or we have competitive healthcare centers when most of the hospitals lack access to electricity? How are the doctors going to utilize all the machinery and other things they have to do in hospitals or if we don't have access to electricity. So all these are very key in ensuring that we understand why energy security is important on the African continent. And I'm glad that this uh, this podcast has been hosted by ladies and I'm also a lady. And we're also aware about the need to ensure gender equality in different countries, not only on Africa, in Africa, but in the African perspective, you note that women are the main users of energy resources. If you go to rural areas, you'll find that it's mostly women who are going to spend a lot of time collecting firewood, biomass. They're the ones who are spending a lot of time doing their social work, and all that social work requires energy. So if you had to compare a woman in rural Africa and a woman in uh, let's say in the UK, if it's in Scotland, you'll find that in Scotland, it's very easy for women to do all these social works with respect to cooking because you have uh, you have gas stoves there, um, electricity is there, everything is easy. Then you compare that to a, a person in rural area, a woman in rural area, they have to wake up in the morning, go fetch firewood, come back and cook. We all know that... Uh, reliance of a reliance on tradition biomass or tradition energy because here now you have to distinguish between modern energy and tradition energy modern energy is what i was talking about electricity for lighting and then uh, maybe gas for cooking and then tradition energy you look at candles for lighting 
and then firewood for cooking. So you'll notice that the gender gap cannot be covered in rural Africa if most of the women are spending most of the time relying on traditional energy. So that's just a brief background of what energy is and why it's important for us to focus on achieving SDG saving of the UN sustainable goals in various African countries. And also, I'll take this uh, this opportunity to note that I've really written a lot with respect to energy access in Africa. One of my book is Energy Poverty and Energy Access Challenges in Sub-Saharan Africa, The Role of Regionalism, where I highlight the various energy poverty challenges we have and what we can do as African nations and also international organizations to tackle this challenge. So briefly, I've given you what energy means, why access, why having access to modern energy is very important on the African continent and also globally, and also the nexus between the achievement of UN, the UN Sustainable Development Goal 7 on energy access and also how it's important in the achievement of all the other UN SDGs. And also the other part I'd like to highlight is the fact that most African countries are developing countries. So they're going through urbanization, industrialization, and we are also expecting um, boom in population growth. So these three, when we're talking about industrialization, urbanization, population growth, they all mean that we need to utilize all forms of energy to ensure that we are actually going through urbanization because with urbanization, you will need lots of cities, industries, shops, all these require energy. You're not going to go through urbanization using candles and firewood. Industrialization is the same thing. How are you going to um, empower or, or how, how are you going to run all the various factories? You can't run them using candles and firewood. You need all forms of energy. And then population growth, obviously, most African countries were expecting a boom in population growth, and that means many people will need energy. So that's just the background of why access to modern energy is very key in all countries, but in African countries, it's mostly important because we are, ex we are still going through industrialization, urbanization, and we're expecting a boom in population growth. Now I'll go on the issue of energy security. If we rightly defined what energy security is, uh, availability of uh, energy resources, uninterrupted energy resources that are affordable. But now, that's a global definition of energy security. But now we have to ask ourselves, can we apply this same definition to all countries globally? Like I explained with that background, if you look at developing countries, they face different energy challenges. You look at developed countries, they face different energy challenges. And for developed countries, the definition of energy security obviously fits very well because they think about availability of energy resources and interrupted energy resources that are affordable. So you're looking at availability, affordability, and also the issue of the resources not being um, interrupted. But now we go on the African continent. There is the issue of accessibility that is very, very important. So for 
African countries, whereas we can use energy security, we are mostly more interested on the issue of energy access. Because like I mentioned, if you go to rural Africa, most of the rural areas in some developing African countries, the thing is they don't have the access to this modern energy. So if you don't have this access, you cannot even talk about affordability. What can I afford if I don't even have access to start with? You can't talk about the issue of it shouldn't be any interrupted access, access to the modern energy resources if you don't have this accessibility. So when we're talking about the issue of energy security, we need to distinguish, we need to understand the geographies of energy of of energy resources or the geographies of energy transitions or the geographies with respect to the challenges different countries face with in the energy sector in the energy sector basically so in this respect energy security yes the definition can apply but on the on um, when it comes to the african continent i'd like it to be focused on the issue of energy access and in this respect um it is my submission that uh, for African countries, we have to be more focused on the issue of energy access, which is mostly ensuring that countries or people have access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern, and, and modern energy. And with that, I'd like to pause and let Efe uh, follow up with the questions. I, I do have a question, actually, uh, follow-up question, if I may. Um, and it's I really, re I really like that you circled back to that energy access. I, um, you mentioned um, social work disparities between a woman in the UK and a woman in Africa. And I was wondering how you and I know this as an African and for our audience, actually, I would really like, um, especially for people who portray Africa in a certain way, uh, I would really like for you to talk to us about uh, the level of disparities between different countries and regions within the continent itself. You know, like without going to the UK, like really within the continent, what is the level of disparities in terms of access? Uh, let's talk about access here in terms of access to this energy and what kind of different energies we could actually, you know, energy access we could find in different countries within the continent. Uh, yeah. uh, sorry, I didn't get your question. Well, could you just repeat the last thing? Sure. So I was just wondering, as you were mentioning earlier, the very good example about, you know, like social um, uh, social work disparities between a woman in the UK and a woman in in, uh, in Africa. I really wanted to for our audience, because, um, you know, we all we're, the three of us are obviously from Africa. So we do understand that there are different you know levels of access to energy on the continent itself. And I wanted you to walk us through these levels of access, you know, like what is the difference? Can you tell us, uh, for example, two or three examples where the access to energy is, you know, drastically different between one country on, or one region within one country to another, you know, within the continent itself? Uh, okay. Uh, within the continent or within the country, like I mentioned, there is the issue of geographies when it comes to uh, energy access or energy issues. So for within a country, I'll give the example of Uganda, because I'm, I'm from Uganda, or even other African countries. Within the country, you notice that the people in rural areas, they face different energy challenges compared to the people in urban areas. Because in urban areas, obviously, because most people are literate, most people are literate, so it's easy for them to access energy, uh, including electricity. They, they can access uh, 
uh, gas for cooking. But then for rural areas, you find that most women are using uh, bio biomass or traditional energy like firewood uh, and candles. So it also comes back to not only the issue of affordability, because in rural areas, obviously, there is um, infrastructure, energy infrastructure, like uh, electricity transmission lines, and also all forms of infrastructure to enable the women to access that kind of energy. And then in uh, in rural areas, the infrastructure is lacking, but not only that, there's also the issue of uh, there's also the issue of affordability because these people in rural areas obviously don't earn as much as the people in urban areas. So that makes the energy challenges very uh, different, even within a country, but for different people and different regions. Thank you so much for that response. And, you know, I'm talking about the disparity between those in the rural area got me thinking because I, I didn't, I mean, forgive my ignorance. I know that energy security is a problem in terms of disparities. I mean, where I live, uh, my parents live, for example, in Aba, we would actually till today, you know, <laughs> if, if there is uninterrupted power supply for weeks, they will start wondering, oh gosh, what's likely to happen? Are we going to not have light for two weeks in the, in the coming months, right? People get surprised if they have uninterrupted power supply. This is how bad the the situation can be sometimes. So I absolutely am with you around the issue of uh, definition. Whose definition should we accept? Or, you know, this whole generalization of what is. Is it better to contextualize things? So I'm absolutely very happy that you contextualize it for what it might mean for there's a lot of people on the African continent. While it might mean affordability for others, for us, the focus is on availability for now or accessibility, given that so many people do not have access. But in talking about the rural versus urban, something that was actually very shocking for me in terms of statistics is that about 900 million people lack access to clean cooking. And this then reminds me of, you know, in the beginning of your introduction, you talked about the intersection between energy security, SDG 7, with other SDGs. So now you can already see the implications for health and everything else. So I guess it then brings us to, we know we have a problem with accessibility, but what is the continent doing in relation to, in trying to solve this problem, to ensure that clean energy is what they are thinking about, rather than doing it the usual way of you know dirty dirty energy if there's anything like that i'm still here so the question i asked was that um are the statistics the current statistics is that 900 million people lack access to clean energy and this ties well with you know your introduction you talked about the interconnectedness between sdg7 and other sdgs so the question is what is the continent doing to ensure that there's access to energy, but not just access, but access to clean energy, you know, moving away from just any energy, dirty energy, if there's anything like that, but ensure access to clean energy? Okay, uh, to answer that, for clean energy, it shouldn't be really confused with uh, the ongoing global transition to a low carbon economy, which is focusing on renewable energy. When you're talking about energy access, 
we distinguish between traditional energy and modern energy. So traditional energy, modern energy would be the clean energy, that is electricity, uh, LNG for cooking or gas for cooking. And then traditional energy would be like candles, uh, firewood, charcoal. So that traditional energy in most cases is not clean because of the various uh, uh, environmental impacts. Because now like the use of biomass, it's linked to indoor air pollution and many people die. Uh, the statistics show like uh, over 220,000 people died in the Sadak region due to indoor air pollution. So that's, that, distinction, that distinction is very key. Now, with respect to what uh, African countries doing to ensure that people have access to clean energy, I'll just, I don't want to call it clean energy, I'll just call it modern energy because also, you know, that with modern energy, you can use fossil fuels, that is oil, gas, and coal to have access to modern energy, to have access to electricity uh, or LNG. And then you can still use renewables to have access to modern energy. So I wouldn't want to use the word clean energy in this respect. So what are countries doing? Like I mentioned earlier, uh, with energy access challenges, you note that there are various issues we need to take into consideration. The first one is the issue of accessibility, like I mentioned. And for people to have access, there should be adequate energy infrastructure, including uh, electricity transmission lines, including refineries, oil and gas refineries. Uh, of late, obviously, we are seeing lots of investments in renewable energy infrastructure. So what countries have done at the moment is to, is to improve on their policies and legal framework so that they can attract all the necessary investment because with infrastructure energy investments are very very expensive ventures requiring uh, large amounts of capital which in most cases are beyond the reach of the government or, or the host government itself so they need to attract foreign investors in, to invest in these projects and in this instance, we've seen many countries amending their energy laws, amending their energy acts, electricity acts, to ensure that they create a conducive environment for the investors to actually be able to come and invest in the necessary infrastructure we need on the continent. So with respect to infrastructure, we are seeing lots of uh, modernization of the energy laws also the policies and also the investment climate to attract the investments to ensure that we have the infrastructure. The other thing is the utilization of all the available energy resources, be it coal, oil, gas, renewables, to ensure that they tackle these challenges. Now, like in Uganda and Tanzania, we just saw last week they signed, uh, they concluded the agreements to establish the East African pipeline oil and gas uh, oil pipeline so that's one key achievement because whereas these countries are also utilizing renewable energy they also know the fact that if they have the resources like fossil fuels they can still be used to tackle the challenge of energy access the other thing we're seeing is a lot of cooperation among these countries with respect to tackling the challenge of energy access now uh, i'll not like um uh, on the African continent, just like other continents, we are seeing uh, lots of regional blocks 
So countries are utilizing these regional blocks to ensure regionalism and regional cooperation in the development of the energy resources. I'll give the example of DRC Congo. It's very rich in uh, energy and mineral resources. So it cannot utilize all the resources by itself. So through regionalism, you'll find that some countries in the Sadak region are benefiting from the resources in the DRC Congo. We're seeing the example in Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, through the East African community, there are lots of projects that are working on together, energy projects through regional cooperation to ensure that all the all the countries can be able to tackle the challenge of energy access. So there's a need to recognize that most African countries, not all, but most African countries in maybe the same region, they face common energy challenges. So the issue is, whereas the government can employ national uh, national initiatives to tackle these challenges, but there's also a need to strengthen the region initiatives to ensure that countries can be able to come up with common solutions to tackle the common challenges they face with respect to energy access. Uh, I think the other thing I would like to note is um, um, various African governments have also put emphasis on tackling climate change because of late, you cannot talk about the energy sector without mentioning climate change challenges because fossil fuels, obviously, that is oil, gas, and coal, they are directly linked to uh, climate change. So that's also another way of ensuring that countries are employing clean technology to utilize these fossil fuels. Because obviously, like I mentioned, there are already initiatives to utilize renewable energy resources, but now they're also uh, deploying clean technologies to be able to ensure that they utilize the fossil fuel resources. So in summary, that's it. Governments have created a conducive environment to attract investments. They're investing more in energy infrastructure because that is very, very key in, in ensuring that uh, countries tackle energy access challenges. The other thing is, the, like, I, like I mentioned, that the people in rural areas, like you'll find that in most cases, 80% of the people in rural areas lack access to modern energy. So we've seen different countries establishing the rural electrification uh, departments that are focused on ensuring that people in rural areas can actually have ele- access to electricity. And these rural electrification departments or initiatives are visible in different African countries. So that's also one major achievement and also on the global level or on an international level, we've seen various initiatives that have been um, that have been executed or developed, like the USAID Power Africa. We're seeing uh, lots of projects being funded by the UK government. We're seeing lots of projects being funded by the EU, the G, the G7, which is now the G8. So we're seeing lots of initiatives at the international level at the regional level, and also at the national level and at the local level. All those initiatives are visible, they are there, and we are not seeing that many people are interested in tackling the challenge of energy access or energy poverty on the African continent. 
I have. Thank you so much for that. It's really a comprehensive answer. I really appreciate that. I have a follow-up question. Like, I really appreciate that you mentioned the local level, uh, and I want to take it down from, like, you know, if we're talking about top-down, take it down to the actual, you know, to, uh, um, you know, community level or communities level. Um, and as we always say, uh, necessity is the mother of creativity. And I do remember. I believe it was in 2017 or 2018 where actually a Ugandan engineer introduced this concept um, of you know turning human feces into clean energy for you know using for cooking, for example, and fertilizers for agriculture. And I really like that um, that concept. Like there is similar concepts all over the world. For example, in Scandinavian countries, they turn plastic into you know um, into fossil fuels, if you will. And so I wanted to see whether these kind of initiatives actually are repeating themselves here and there on the continent. Uh, are they popular? Um, do they really, you know, beyond this example, this beautiful example, what other initiatives exist at the community level? What are the creativities, if you will, of the communities and the people on the continent in terms of, you know, deploying clean energy, especially in rural areas? I can't I can't exhaust all the initiatives at the community level. <laughs> yes, but uh, I've been aware of some visible initiatives, especially the issue of utilizing biomass or bioenergy. Most most local communities are doing that, where they are using waste to turn it into energy. So that is really really very visible. The other thing is people are embracing solar energy because in most African countries they have the sun all the time. Like, um, I remember in 2016, 2016 or 17, I was in Tanzania and I visited some of the uh, rural areas and we're all embracing solar energy. So they're no longer waiting on, on the energy infrastructure, like uh, electricity transmission lines, but they're also taking up the initiative to actually utilize renewable energy to tackle the challenges they're facing. So people are more open about tackling the challenge of energy access, and they're no longer waiting for the government. Those who can, they're taking initiatives, and then those who can afford, they're looking at other means of uh accessing modern energy by themselves or working closely with the private companies. Um, thank you so much. And, and the fact that you've actually talked about how people are taking up the initiative and, and, you know, thinking for themselves and trying to make their own contribution brings us to something that we've also talked about in a previous episode about um, innovative, um, innovatism, you know, innovativism is there a term like that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe let's invent it if it doesn't exist because i like it yeah so you know being innovative and i think it was richard monang a different um, person we invited that talked about it you know how africans must take advantage of of what is around them to you know create opportunities and make things better rather than continue to wait on the government. So thank you so much for really the way you've illustrated and talked about things in a simple level that helps us make sense of the current situation, of the opportunities for change and what governments are doing. I just have one last question before you know we say our goodbyes and that relates to the comment you made about DRC and the fact that you said that they have enough. And that is interesting because, you know, you talked about how they are contributing to um, energy security in, in other East African countries and also then this idea of technology. 
So I wonder if you have any advice for African policymakers and implementers in case they are listening in relation to how they must ensure that resources are extracted sustainably and we don't see, you know, the resource extraction and the link to environmental degradation in the way we see it around fossil fuel exploitation, especially by foreign partners. And now that there is this rush to, you know, mitigate the impact of climate change and we see the extensive extraction of resources from um, DRC, resources like Cobert, so that foreign entities and foreign countries can meet their goals around, you know, um, mitigating the impact of climate change, obviously electric cars and electric everything. So what advice do you have for African government? You know, what must they do when doing business with these partners to ensure sustainability? Mm, they're already doing it, but they just have to be aggressive with, with respect to that because the issue you're talking about, it's more about empowering the local people. If you have the resources, make sure that the resources first benefit the local people, the citizens before they leave the country. And we've seen that through concepts like local content concepts. But the issue is how are we going to implement all these concepts or all these initiatives to empower the local people? So there's a need because most laws, most laws, energy and mining laws, they have local content provisions. But the issue is enforceability. How can the country's policymakers enforce these local content provisions? Because we have the laws. So I wouldn't say I'm advising them to do this because they're already doing it. But the issue is how aggressive are you with enforcing those or um, those laws or provisions? And uh, my suggestion would be for countries to work together because like I mentioned, most countries face common challenges. So if Jersey Congo stands up and maybe Botswana stands up and also other African countries, they stand up and they make it a law. Besides their national laws, but maybe on a regional level that we shouldn't export this kind of resources if the local market is not yet um it's not yet, uh, if, we, if we haven't yet uh, ensured that, that we satisfy the local market, so that would be something good because it's more about, about negotiation, negotiating with the international law firms because I remember these international companies are the ones with the capital. We have the resources, but they have the capital, they have the technology, they have the expertise. So we need to devise better negotiating skills on how are you going to bargain? Because with the issues that are facing the Jersey Congo and other African countries like South South Sudan and all the resources they have, like honestly, we shouldn't be facing these resources if we are aggressive enough, but we are not aggressive. And it's mostly because we don't stand as a nation, we don't stand as a continent or as a region to demand because most, most, most policymakers will be scared. They're like, oh, if we are very aggressive, then they'll take their capital or they'll take their expertise somewhere else. And that's how they end up missing out. That's how we end up missing out because of that fear. So you cannot comply. You cannot enforce the laws that you already have. You cannot empower the local communities. You cannot ensure that the local market is satisfied first because you are worried. If Uganda does this, if Uganda is so strict, the investor will go to Kenya. 
if Kenya is so strict, the investor will go to Tanzania. But if you stand as a continent, that's why, like in my books and my writings, I always emphasize regionalism and region cooperation. As if you stand together and you have a strong voice, then it will be so hard for the foreigners to take advantage of you because now you, you are speaking with one voice. This is East Africa or this is Africa and this is what we have decided. So whereas countries already have initiatives at the national level, we have to note that in the 21st century, we have to begin, we need to ensure better negotiating skills and it can't happen with only one small voice of one small country isolated. It has to be a strong voice through regionalism, regional cooperation and ensuring that we understand the fact that we have common energy challenges and we need common solutions. And those common solutions can only be strong enough if it's a big voice with a lot of support. So my advice will be to, to strengthen regional cooperation so that we do not isolate ourselves. Because uh, the moment you isolate yourself as a country, as a nation, then the international firms or international companies will all will always play on that. They're like, oh, if Nigeria doesn't want, we're going to go to Ghana. And then Nigeria will start panicking. Oh, no, no, no. We need to relax the laws. We need to, okay, it's okay. You can take the resources without satisfying the local market. It's okay. Because that is the game. That has always been the game. So we just need to change the game and play differently. Thank you so much for that. It's really amazing how, um, you know, this advice is really transversal to many sectors, you know, like supporting regionalism, be like a regional power as opposed to like individualistic country doing it, like in many, many sectors. And it's really amazing to hear you say it, like because you're an expert in this field. And by the way, you're giving advice for free to policymakers. So I hope they're listening. Uh, but it's really amazing how transversal it is across many sectors on the continent. And we shouldn't stop saying it until we see it like really enforced, implemented and taken you know, into consideration at every single level. Absolutely, I agree. And it, it's it's great, actually. I, I feel very con um, confident, not only by, by hearing from you, but also from this conversation that hopefully the future of a continent in terms of its plan and ambitions around energy security as embedded within the Agenda 2063 of the Africa we want is quite achievable. So hopefully um, our countries on the continent would, would consider strongly this whole idea of negotiating um, as regions rather than being individualistic as, um, with their approach. In relation to security issues, we're seeing a lot of this cooperation. And so I don't see why this cannot be extended to you know, businesses and business negotiation. So thank you, absolutely. Thank you so very much, Dr. Nadule, for, for the time and for really this beautiful introduction to energy security. Um, yeah, for sharing your knowledge with our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was lovely presenting during the first podcast, sorry. Yeah, thank you and have a great day. Thanks everyone for listening as well. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to share this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.